What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Wednesday morning edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by Aaron Pincus. First time ever, Eric. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, man. Are you Are you exhausted from the the NBA news gauntlet at the moment? Or are you like, yeah, love that Reggie Jackson re-signed with the Clippers <laughs> and Joakim Noah is retired and uh, nine other things that have happened since we started recording this podcast? Well, it, this is kind of, I mean, it, absolutely, you know, excited. But this is like, uh, if you're an accountant, you have tax day, you have to prepare for it, and it's overwhelming. My job is to publish all the team pages, all the salary pages for each team, which involves a tremendous amount of work every July. And it's usually spread out a little bit from the draft to about July 15th. So that's almost a month. And here we only had like a week <laughs> to get it all done. So it's, it's not that it's more, but it's, it's that it's more compressed. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to just figure out who's on what team, write up all the salaries. Uh, I, I start at Atlanta and work my way to Washington. And you, know, you get to a certain point. And then let's say you're on Detroit and then Atlanta makes another move. So you go back. So it's kind of like, uh, uh, it's a fun time. It's just, uh, and it's fascinating. And I'm learning, you know, I learn a lot these times about what, you know, what these teams do, but it is, uh, yeah. When you say, am I tired? I'm exhausted <laughs> because I'm not sleeping, but, uh, I'm definitely uh, enjoying this is, you know, this is what I live for. This is what I do. So I'm, I'm thrilled to see here. What have you learned as you've been going through these team pages? What has stood out to you? Well, some of it is um, like last year we had a tremendous amount of sign in trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, every year is different. This year um, we're seeing something similar to last year in that there are a lot of teams that are generating hard caps. Uh, the NBA has a soft cap where you could spend uh, until uh, you could spend anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a limit to your means and how to spend. Uh, but technically, if you have the rights to players, you can give like eight players the max uh, if you have the ability to and pay 300 million or so. That's legal technically. It's impractical, but it's legal. Uh, but there are some instances where a team can use certain tools that triggers a hard cap. And one of those is uh, sign and trading a player. So bring a player in. So uh, for instance, the Hawks who were under the cap, mm-hmm. uh, they sign and traded for Danilo Gallinari, which was uh, essentially they, they were more or less like paid by the thunder to, to orchestrate that so that the thunder could get a, a, a trade exception, which hmm. is another tool. Uh, and so uh, they have a hard cap. Now, that doesn't matter because they don't have that much salary, but uh, the Lakers use their 
what's called their full mid-level exception, their uh, their taxpayer mid-level, or rather their non-taxpayer mid-level exception. Uh, and they use that on Markeith Morris, and so they have a limit. So they're very limited in, in how their moves can be made. In fact, they're so limited that they can't start the season with 15. Uh, the most they can start with is 14 players. So, Oh, no. Uh, Who's going? Is, yeah. Who's not going to make it? Uh, uh, well, Quinn Cook has already been cut. Mm. Uh, they brought back Jared Dudley. Well, uh, Quinn Cook was so technically he, already cut when they left him behind in the bubble at the championship parade. Like, he, that, that was it. That, there's no coming back from uh, that. that. That's that's a true detail that <laughs> it, it, that that kind of that kind of sucks for uh, Quinn Cook, but yeah, I mean they they it, it happens. We all make mistakes, but uh, that that was an awkward one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, and on, then as far as what learning, you're learning like the new personality, the personalities of the new executives, like the Kings and the Rockets and and the Pistons have new uh, leadership. So you try to see what they're doing. Mm. Uh, what what are the what are their personalities? Like, for instance, the Rockets under Daryl Morey, who's now with Philadelphia, uh, would always make complicated, um, exasperating moves that were unnecessarily, unnecessarily detailed. Mm. And so if the question was, would that change with the, the um, I mean, it's Raphael Stone is now mm. in charge. Uh, if I get a name pronunciation wrong, my apologies. But uh, the answer is no. The, the, the Rockets are still doing things way more intricate and detailed and complicated uh than other teams so it, it, that that personality trait didn't leave with Dermore. interesting what um what do you make of what the pistons have done because it seems like a lot of people are um <laughs> there have been a lot of jokes about the zaire smith for tony bradley trade and just getting all and all the bigs and trading canard and it's just like what do you think people are reacting do you see kind of what we were starting to starting to do there. What what do you think the Pistons are up to? So I'll, I'll use the Suns as an example from last year. Uh, if you look at the individual moves the Suns made, you'd scratch your head and say, "I don't get it." For instance, they traded, uh, uh, gosh, TJ uh, Warren, Warren to the yeah to the Pacers, mm. and basically paid, you know, gave away assets to get him out. And it had to do with, in, in retrospect, he was one of the best players in the bubble. And it, it made no sense. But if you also looked at the combination of moves that they made at the time, it led to them getting Ricky Rubio. It led to them getting whatever the moves made that, you know, Aaron Baines, et cetera. And then when you, you know, Dario Saric, but when, when, you, when they got to the bubble, yes, um, TJ Warren may have been one of the best players, but the Suns were actually the best team in the bubble when it comes to record, they were a hundred percent winning percentage. And so bringing them back to the Pistons, like if you look at one or two individual moves and try to judge them without looking at the big picture, uh, you can lose sight of, of what a team is doing. And when a new regime, when a new leadership comes in, they don't have the same loyalty to the previous players, uh, the same love. So they're willing to dump players that maybe the other uh, you know, the previous management, uh, you know, acquired and, and had a, but developed and had a personal stake in. Uh, so they're, they're, they're blowing it up. They're not as interested in whatever happened before. You know, they, they're inheriting a team that 
is bad <laughs> as far as roster has Blake Griffin uh, on a contract that uh, is excessive based on his health. Uh, as talented as a player he is, he's just not uh, at least the last couple of years or so uh, been able to deliver at, to that level, which, you know, is a shame, but it's part of life. And I know Blake really well from covering him with the Clippers and really fond of him as a, as a person. And I hope that he could prove this year that he's, you know, what, $40 million, $38 million player, 35 whatever it is. But uh, they're, you know, they're looking at how many centers when, you know, that was kind of a joke is that at first they had like four centers, five centers, mm. hadn't resolved Christian Wood, who's a power forward center. And it was like, well, what the heck are they doing? But if you're trying to judge, uh, it's, it's like trying to judge a, a, a team at the, you know, eight minute mark in the first quarter. It's like, well, you don't know. They might be down 20, but they might win the game or, you know, they might be, who knows what they're doing out there, but it's not necessarily reflect reflective of the final score. So, uh, I, I don't know where the Pistons are going. There are some moves that I'm still questioning. Uh, it doesn't make sense yet to me. Uh, you know, and, and they obviously didn't want to invest in Christian Wood, uh, which I I can argue makes sense because you have a team that's not ready to win, uh, investing a lot of money in somebody who isn't necessarily proven. But then they're also investing you know some money in Miles Plumley and some other players. So it it's it doesn't all fit yet. But I'm not going to judge it yet. I want to get to the final roster, and they they still haven't actually signed Plumley yet. They're still in the process of making their moves legal. So. Uh, I, I want to see how the final team shakes down, but I don't think we'll even be able to judge them off of this first year because uh, being you know a, a, an executive of a team and, and shaping it, it, it might take two or three years uh, for that vision to manifest. And you know, just to finish the answer, look at what happened with the Lakers from Magic Johnson and, and uh, Rob Plinka taking over. Uh, obviously, Magic stepped down, but. Uh, from where they started and, you know, some of the criticism that they, and the heat they received, it, it didn't take, but two, three years for them to get to the title. It, obviously that's a, you know, extreme case, but along the way they were definitely lambasted and, and for some of their decisions and some of how they handle things. And so, you know, Troy Weaver and, and the Pistons and they may be facing that same scrutiny, and I don't think they'll win a title in two, three years, but in, in a, sh a relatively short time, it might make sense, even if it doesn't today. Yeah, I just think that you're right with them. It's just going to take another couple of years to see what they're they're ultimately doing, and they still have a lot of pieces. They still have to look at moving and what they're going to do there. Um, I, I I would not do it, but I w I do think it's pretty funny to see the Twitter response to every big that they end up signing and acquiring. It's it's pretty great. Um, in your estimation. Um, Eric, do you believe the Milwaukee Bucks have done enough for Giannis this offseason? And also, can you explain to me, like I'm five, what happened with the Bogdan trade? So, yeah, the, the easy answer is no. Mm. Uh, because we, we've talked and talked and talked about every move that's made, and we've you know, people are projecting and saying, oh, look at this great move, look at that, and you know, who's the best free agent left, but like the biggest question of the summer has not been answered. Like I came into the summer 
with literally like one real question. When is and what is uh, Giannis going to do? And we don't have an answer for that. So um, like the rest of it, like where Gallinari goes, where Drew Holiday gets traded. Okay, he got traded to the Bucks. I mean, that was a huge move, but still no signature. So he could sign what's, you know, what, what people call a supermax, mm. uh, which is more money than anyone else in the league can offer him, period. And it's not money that can be recouped by, you know, like sometimes you could say, like if, if a guy takes a five-year deal to stay with one team, but four years to go with someone else, they'll make up that extra year that's lost when that year comes. So there's a difference in the money, but it's not necessarily a difference lifetime. It's a, it's a difference in guaranteed right now. But in the case of Giannis, it's actually lifetime money. There's a certain amount of money he'll never be able to make up. Uh, and we've seen other players, you know, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Paul George, Anthony Davis, who might have been eligible for that kind of supermax, uh, decide they want to relocate and are willing to step away from that potential money. And so Giannis is a little different. He he's turning he would be turning away that money not in in potential but in actual. Like there's they, that in theory that contract offer is in writing in his hand. And he's not signing it. And so uh, the answer to the question is no, because uh, he hasn't signed. And until he does, the answer is no. And, and until, until he says, I'm staying or I'm going, there are going to be teams that don't do certain things to make sure that they have the flexibility just in case he'll come. Like Miami, although they, they did sign BAM out of bio to an extension, uh, Toronto, even the Lakers are looking at the situation uh, the Mavericks, uh, that's a huge, huge situation. As far as what happened with Bogdan, uh, Bogdanovich, uh, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I know the, the whole story. I can say that, uh, it's illegal to negotiate, uh, a contract before the start of free agency, before there's, there's a period of time where you are now allowed to negotiate. Uh, if you negotiate, before then, uh, it's one of two things and maybe both things. It's either tampering or circumvention. Tampering is basically negotiating with another team's player uh, or just interacting or somehow uh, trying to impact another team's player's decision. Uh, the other circumvention is going around the rules. So uh, if the Bucks had talked to Bogdanovich directly, without permission from the Kings, that's tampering. Mm. But even if the, if the Kings themselves, at the time that this was reported, if they negotiated a sign-and-trade on, you know, uh, on the behalf of the Bucks, they still can't even... You're, you're not allowed to negotiate even with your own free agent. Uh, for instance, uh, okay, so we say if Anthony Davis was the top free agent, the Lakers couldn't negotiate with him until the free agent period began. Uh, now, do teams do it? Absolutely. Teams negotiate deals 100%. I don't know if every single team does it, but I would say probably every team does it. And to what extent is hard to say. Some are, you know, Mitch Kupchak uh, of the Hornets is probably the least uh, uh, likely to circumvent. Mm. He comes from an older school. 
but I would say most everyone else does. And I'm sure there's, I'm sure at this point in time, Kupchak even does as well. So, uh, but you can't, you can't let that information come out publicly. And so it's one thing to say, uh, you know, this player's leaning towards signing with, uh, in this case, the Bucks, right? Or, or whatever. But for a trade to leak that is complex, that involves multiple players, uh, where a, a deal needs to be negotiated between the two teams based on what would be tampering or in this case, most likely circumvention raises a, a, a really obvious red flag. So the NBA is reportedly investigating it. Uh, is that why the deal died? I don't know. I don't know if the NBA stepped in or if Bogdanovich just decided that the money wasn't right. It's certainly possible that he was getting a certain price from uh, the Bucks that was maybe 15, 16 million. Mm. And the Hawks called him up and said, why are you doing this? First of all, it's illegal. And second of all, we're willing to give you 19, 20 million or whatever, uh, whatever they settled on. I'm, I'm not looking at it. Um, but it, it, you know, it, more money than I forget the exact figure, but it, more than what the, the Bucks were willing to do. Mm. And maybe he, reneged on an agreement and that's the thing is these are you can't have an agreement you can't really renege from an illegal deal like it's not is it breaking a deal if you broke a deal that was illegal in the first place so uh there there's some talk that you know i don't know speculation and i don't know who's reporting that maybe he didn't like the moves that were made uh maybe i think it was just a money thing Maybe it was the league stepping in. I, I, I don't. I don't really know. And and I I probably will have a better sense of what happened. But it might take anywhere from six months to you know a year and a half uh, because when it's raw and sore and people are like worried about tampering fines or circumvention fines, investigations and stuff, everyone's going to be tight-lipped about this for a uh, while. Well, not everyone, but certainly the teams. Uh, but over time, players, executives move on. Uh, they, they, the issues aren't as raw. Maybe the Bucks get Giannis. They're not as uh, maybe extended, and they're not so sensitive. Maybe the Kings uh, are, are willing to talk someone with the Kings one day. But right now, I don't think anybody's going to say really what happened. Interesting. Um, speaking of the Hawks. When you're looking at their cap sheet, looking at what they've done this offseason, looking at what they were last year, and looking at what they did last offseason, um, and by doing what they did last offseason, it was, um, let me check my notes here, nothing. Um, do you think they've skipped too many steps to put a winning product around Trey Young in 2021? Well, you know, I'll, I'll say last year, the Hawks were one of the busiest teams in the league uh, at the trade deadline, like mm. the Pelicans, the Hawks. Um, when you have cap room, you can use it for a variety of things. And well, I meant the, the off season is, before last year, where they went in and let certain players go, and just was like, okay, we'll just see what happens. We'll play a lot of young guys, and then being completely flummoxed when playing a bunch of young guys <laughs> uh, ended with a lot of losses. Well, so you know that's you know that's the point of it is that you use your cap space to either get the veterans and mm-hmm. and and try to make that push, 
or you say we're not ready. And, or to me, I think they said they thought that they had a shot to make the playoffs. I don't think they had any designs on, on a deep playoff run. And I think that the season went far worse than they expected. So I think a lot of what you're saying is accurate as far as um, the shortcomings of last season, but at the same time, they added a lot uh, of assets and, you know, draft currency and young players and, and built their pool from, from which they're going to build on now. And so, you know, they, I guess last year they were closer to what the Pistons were uh, this year, except they, they were further on because you could start to see the form that they were taking. They had their star player in Trey Young. Uh, they've got a bunch of really interesting pieces. At some point they got uh, midseason Clint Capella to try to deal with the fact that they didn't have any uh, inside veteran presence of note. And then uh, Capella wasn't healthy in the you know, they, they knew when they were trading for him, he wasn't healthy. And, but they, they thought at some point he would be healthy, but ultimately we had the shutdown. And, and so we never got to see him play. Uh, but now they're turning it around and saying, okay, now we're, we're not going to sit here and, uh, you know, continue to collect assets and, and, and instead focus more on uh, improving and improving now. So adding Rajon Rondo, who I've, been around this last year with the Lakers. I cover out of LA. Uh, they got a you know, as good of a mentor as you're going to get uh, for for Trey. Rondo's a lot of vets are like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a mentor. When someone mm. asks in the media, but in the reality, they're just worried about their own minutes. They're worried about their own game, and they're worried about their own career. Even if they've been in the league 15, 20 years, they still want more. Uh, but Rondo's not like, I mean, Rondo legitimately want, I mean, one of his goals is to be a coach. And so he takes it really seriously, the mentoring of young players. And uh, if you talk to some of the players from his previous teams, like Chicago, um, or even Sacramento, where he didn't have a great run, but the younger players who he impacted speak really highly of them. So, uh, that's a great move. Uh, I, I'm, I know Danilo from his time with, uh, the Clippers, and I, I think he's a really nice player. I don't know if he's, uh, I mean, he's not a Giannis or an Anthony Davis, but he's a really, really talented scoring forward uh, who gives them some really nice scoring punch. You know, Chris Dunn, I don't, uh, I, I think they went a little, I think they were like, we're not sure if, if Bogdanovich will will come because of it was a, a an offer sheet, a restricted player. Mm. The Kings could have matched uh, and probably should have matched. Uh so I think they probably went further than they needed to, but Dunn is a really good defensive wing. Uh, he's a point guard technically, though not, not necessarily a true point guard. Uh, yeah, he's he, not leading he's this game. Def- exactly. So he's someone who could defend. Uh, and that's, that's huge for this team because they, they've been bad defensively, mm-hmm. actively bad defensively. So they, they've improved on, on that stuff, adding vets, adding experience. And really when it comes down to, basketball like a lot of how a game goes is decided in the last five minutes that's Mm -hmm. not news or anything uh young teams who win 20 to 35 games probably lose 15 of those or 20 of those in the last five minutes and so if you think about the swing instead of losing say 20 games let's say you lose five games now you have 15 more wins on the year 
you have a very different season if you're at 35 to now you're at 50, you know what I mean? Or if you go from 35 to 40, those are massive jumps. And so, uh, yeah, I think the, the Hawks will be better for closing with Rondo, even if they go Rondo and Trey together, uh, which is small, but try to balance it out. They need to see what they have in John Collins. Uh, is he worth investing in, in a winning situation? You know, he's, he's extension eligible. They have to make some decisions about uh, who of their young players are part of the winning, uh, you know, whatever comes to winning uh, franchise that they'll, they intend to have and which need, which, who needs to be cashed out for uh, more veteran help, better players. So it's still an interesting mix of, of younger and, and older, but Bogdanovich and Dunn are younger. So all their acquisitions weren't like Rondo and, and Gallinari who are plus 30. So you know, interesting summer for the Hawks. I, I, I think there's softness at the bottom of the East. And I personally, you know, I don't root for teams, but Trey is fun to watch. And I would like to see uh, them make a run for that eighth seed. I, I root for chaos and, and excitement. and Or just the playing and, game. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, get to the playing game. I think they'll easily make the playing game. But I think they have a shot to even. That's something I wonder about with these teams because we won't know until we get there next year. But like the playoff mandates internally from certain teams, like you got to make playoffs to uh, to keep your job. It's like so if you get to the playing game, you make it into that group and you lose that. Does that count, or (laughs) do you have to win that extra game or two for it to actually count that you made the playoffs? Like I wonder how ownership's going to look at that. Oh yeah, they're going to look at it like. the playoffs. I mean, it's different now because of, of the situation we're in with the shutdown. It's a lot of extra, it's significant revenue mm-hmm. for a team to get to the finals, additional yeah. revenue. It's a lot of it's significant revenue to get to the conference finals or even the second round means a lot to teams uh, from, from a financial point of view. So uh, I, I would say uh, management, like executives, like uh, the general manager, president of basketball operations are cognizant and aware of the team being profitable, but I don't think that's what's supposed to drive them. And it shouldn't be The drive should be basketball and you have the ba- the business side of the teams should be worried about the profitability, but the ownership, they're worried about both. Mm-hmm. And in, in a lot of cases, not certainly not all, but in a lot of cases, the profitability might trump the basketball and be more important. Uh, so, you know, hopefully, you know, that's not the case. And, and as, you know, as teams, um, you know, make the bubble, they'll be, or, or not the bubble, the playing games, hopefully they'll be judged by the merits of their growth. Uh, but I think there are going to be some people who are going to still, if, if you're taking heat because your team hasn't made the playoffs for three or four years, or hasn't won a playoff game in three or four years, playoff series in three or four years, and you get to be the ninth team and don't make the playoffs and lose in the playing games, I don't think the ownership's going to be looking at management and saying, you're doing a great job. They're probably going to be saying, yeah, no, that you didn't salvage your, your position by losing a playing game. So, uh, but you know, for a team like, I don't, maybe the Hawks, maybe that's not a great example, but like if a team like the Pistons made the playing game and lost in the playing game, I think that's a successful season. So, you know, it's all relative. Yeah. 
In your estimation, Eric, do you think the Jazz have been too quiet? Because they're the team that I was like kind of curious about. They're on the boat. Like pe- the Nuggets kind of leapfrog them as the the small market darling um, that can really contend with the Lakers and the Clippers. And you have Donovan Mitchell there. You have him now locked up. But the Gobert stuff is still just there. And they haven't really fe- – like losing uh, Bojan last year was brutal for them. He was really good for them. But – are you surprised they haven't done more to kind of inch back up into the top pecking order in the West? Or do you think there is still some stuff that's probably going to happen with Utah that we're not expecting? Well, on one hand, um, they didn't have like cap space or significant spending power. So mm-hmm. they were never going to be a team going after a top free agent. So you could argue maybe, maybe Gallinari would have been a good fit like for a veteran scorer on a playoff team, you could argue that, okay, but they didn't have 19 and a half million dollars per year, whatever it is that, you know, starting salary that, that, that Gallinari got. So they weren't in the market for that because they didn't have that money. Uh, and then what teams are facing is, uh, and especially with the salary cap dropping a little bit, it didn't drop, but the projection it was projected to go to 115 million. It stayed at 109. Uh, there wasn't a lot of money for teams to spend. So if they're spending, you know, we mentioned earlier in the in the conversation the the hard cap. If you spend what's called the mid level exception, at, which is about 10 million dollars, uh, that locks in a hard cap, and so you can't spend this year over 139 million if that's the case, and that's that's kind of where the Jazz fell in that they prioritized keeping. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, and in doing so, they gave him a a, a reasonable deal based on how valuable he is and and his his skill. Uh, Very quickly, they would had they spent that nine million dollars would have been in a a tax situation that would have been limiting. It's not uh, when you have a hard cap; it's not a, a, a oh we're willing to spend it. It becomes a no, you can't spend it kind of situation. So they didn't come in with great means. And so the only way for most of these teams to improve is via trade. Uh, and they did make some moves around the edges, but most of them were to enable them to keep Clarkson, stay out of the tax uh, and be uh, competitive. So they brought in favors, Derek favors, uh, who's a, a former jazz player anyway, and kind of recognizing what the Lakers are and that, uh, as the league was going smaller and smaller, uh, the Lakers went bigger and also more skilled. And so there's, I think, a little bit of a, a bounce back where teams are recognizing, hey, maybe let's go back to being a little bit bigger. So favors and Gobert. Now, you, you asked about Gobert's extension. Like, just because he's a, he's eligible for the Supermax like Giannis is, one of the few players who's actually eligible. To, the requirements are, are quite difficult to even get to that. Uh, but he is eligible. And just because you're eligible doesn't mean that a team should be obligated to pay it. Like why pay him 40 something million if you could pay him, you know, 45 million, if you can pay him 40. And uh, those are uh, rough numbers just to give an example, not, not the exact figures. So why pay him that? Well, that amount, maybe it's better to just wait, be patient, see what the market is for him. And maybe you lose him. Maybe you don't, but if you make him a, an offer that's still, more than anyone else when the time comes is he going to turn that away 
just because he didn't get the most he could possibly get. Maybe some people get petty like that, where they'll walk away for more money just because they're hurt and are in and, and are in their emotions. But you know, I, I don't think the Jazz have uh, any pressing urgency to overpay Rudy Gobert when they're in a small market and they're paying Donovan Mitchell and they're paying for a really, really, really good team with you know Boyan Bogdanovich and Clarkson and uh, Mitchell and. You know, all the pieces. This is a this is a good team. It's not necessarily a uh, a top 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 team, but they're knocking on the door of that. Interesting. Who are you higher on uh, over the next five years, uh, New Orleans or OKC? Uh, I mean, it's easier to go by what you know the Pelicans have yeah. the players right now. So uh, Zion needs to step into the star. Uh, power that he's brought into the league. He he came in a superstar. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to ask of a player to deliver upon. And uh, so that potential exists because he is unquestionably extremely talented, uh, but he has to live up to that. And Brandon Ingram took the step forward that uh, was needed. He's an all-star. He's just got nice extension. I'm happy for him. I was there when he was, uh, just a draft candidate with the Lakers and saw his whole career uh, in LA uh, and, and interviewed him multiple times and really happy for his, his development success. Uh, but Lonzo Ball needs to prove that he he's at that same level. Uh, all their other pieces, they've got a lot of draft assets similar to the Thunder. Uh, so they, they have a lot of draft equity that's the unknown. And a lot of those moves can lead to trades or they can lead to drafting. Uh, but they have more on the roster right now where you say, you know, there's no question they have a better team, uh, as far as in place talent. Uh, but you look at the thunder and they have, you know, more picks than anybody upcoming. Uh, they have a GM who's very, very, uh, astute and willing to make complex moves and, uh, isn't afraid of making difficult decisions. Uh, I like Shea Gilgis Alexander. They have some really nice pieces, uh, but they haven't proven just yet. Uh, you know, there, there's no draft picks don't play. You, you have to get the right pick in the right year. And sometimes you do get it, the number one pick, but you get in a, in a year where there is no clear number one. Even this year was kind of like that. So uh, Donovan Mitchell was maybe the best player from his class. I think he was what? Was he 10 or was he 13? I think he was 10. I think Something he was like 10. That. So, yeah. So, uh, it, the Lakers drafted uh, Lonzo Ball and, and brought on Alex Caruso around the same time. Who 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 ended up being the champion? You know what I mean? It's like, who mm. who's a more productive player? And Pelicans fans will definitely say Lonzo Ball, but in the role that Alex Caruso fills, he's more valuable to the Lakers. So, you, you don't, you know, not, not to, the argument isn't to compare the players. The point is to say you have a number two pick and you have a guy who was undrafted, went through the G League, and is making a massive impact as well for their team. So uh, it, it's hard to say, you know, like Lou, Lou Dort is a similar example for the Thunder. Uh, he's not someone who came in heralded and was a, a big part of what they did last year. So uh, the, the Pelicans have the players now the the Thunder have the picks, but they even have an example of a player who shows you that as valuable as picks are, 
you might find the better player somewhere else. And, you know, that that's if you're drafting, but if you're treating the picks like currency as far as trade, they're stacked, but then mm. sort of the Pelican. Interesting. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here, Eric. Um, obviously, you're very familiar with the Lakers. Are you one of the NBA people that sees this with their offseason almost flawlessly and that they've kind of already secured uh, the bag as the the favorites to repeat next year. Do you think they've made any missteps? Um, do you th- have anything, has anything been a head scratcher to you? Do you think that they're actually going to be better than they were last year? Um, what do you make of the Lakers? Well, I mean, they are, they are better. I think um, it, it's kind of, if you want to argue similar to the Pelicans versus the, the Thunder, like you knew, you, you know who the Pelicans have versus the Thunder are more about like the maybe of picks. We knew what the Lakers had with Danny Green and all those players, uh, Rondo, and we know what the result was. And so anytime there's change, there's uncertainty. So it's not a head scratcher other than to say that uh, I think they improved. I think the talent they replaced, uh, the older people, older players, with younger players, they're building more for Anthony Davis and his future than they are LeBron. And as much as they are also building for LeBron to win, it's not like we're going to get the best players right now who have a two, three year window. And we're not worried about down the road. The Lakers obviously weren't in that boat. They were thinking, let's get the young, you know, Dennis Schroeder, uh, who's a better fit with, uh, you know, for the future for, for Anthony Davis, uh, Montrose Harrell, all that. So, uh, I mean, it was a head scratcher that Montrez was there, was the, the, the guy they agreed to, uh, because I expected him to get a deal. I didn't actually thought the Clippers were going to move on from him, but I thought he'd get a sign and trade deal. And I thought he'd get closer to 15 to 20, hmm. probably like 17, maybe 15 to 17. Uh, so I think, uh, and I think that reportedly there were offers, but I think anytime a guy takes less money, uh, then what was expected, they say, oh, yeah, I turned away more money. I don't know if that's ever true, or sometimes it is. Sometimes they're just saying that because they want to save face. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if there's a head-scratcher uh, of note, it's more in the detail of they they waived uh, Quinn Cook and they waived um, Jordan Bell, and they, did, they had the opportunity to spread their money out, what's called stretch their money out over three years, uh, which would have enabled them to sign a 15th player, but the Lakers actually are, are hamstrung at 14, right? Like we said, so they're because of that hard cap, they can't go to 15. And had they stretched those players, they could have. And so it, it saved about—I I don't know—I think it's see about just under 600,000 of, of cap room for next year. But if the Lakers have all these players and they keep Schroeder and they keep. Um, if Montrez opts in or if he opts out and they keep him like cap room should be the last thing the Lakers are thinking about based on the roster. Like mm-hmm. you to have cap room, you would have to lose Kuzma and Caruso, Schroeder and Montrez. And, and if you wanted to, let's say Giannis decides to leave and he wants to play with the Lakers. I'm not saying that happens to get there. They'd have to lose all their players. They probably have to trade away, uh, Davis Caldwell Pope, which I think is very doable. Uh, if they literally trimmed it down to nothing but the Luol Deng $5 million on their books <laughs> uh, and Anthony Davis and, and 
LeBron James, it's still not enough to get someone like Giannis. So uh, to get there, it would take uh, pay cuts from, you know, does LeBron take 30 instead of 40? Maybe if he has that chance, maybe does he take 25 so they can keep get Giannis and keep Caruso and a few other pieces? Maybe so. Um, but just that little bit of extra cap room that they're saving for next year when they need that extra room right now, not cap room, but flexibility to sign a 15th player, it at least says to me, like, maybe they don't, you know, no one is expecting to get Giannis uh, or whoever else is the star that the Lakers might be after next year. There are other players besides Giannis, but I, I find it interesting that you can at least read the numbers and say they definitely have an eye on next year even mm-hmm. though it doesn't fully make sense. All their contracts coming off, LeBron must have indicated on some level that he's willing to play ball. I don't know that that's what happens. I don't know who comes. But the numbers tell me, you know, the head-scratching part of it is they're definitely looking at next year as a possibility. I don't think they get to cap room. I think they go in a different direction personally. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they clearly are looking at next year and considering cap room a priority, even at the expense of starting this year with that 15th piece, that could be the the final piece in, in what makes this team a champion. So, you know, it, it, it's big picture. It's not that big a deal. Like the Lakers could be saving that 15th spot for uh, a buyout candidate, which is how, you know, they got Markeith Morris as a buyout, which was huge for them. Uh, and so maybe they're looking for a, for keeping that roster spot open anyway for a buyout candidate. But it's definitely interesting to note because the right move for most teams in the position the Lakers are in would be to stretch those players. All right. Eric, this has been great. Very informative. I've uh, very much enjoyed our conversation. What uh, can we look out from you this week on uh, all your different uh, platforms? Well, the best uh, place to keep tabs is on Twitter at Eric Pincus, E-R-I-C, P-I-N-C-U-S. Uh, I write for Bleacher Report, uh, and we're waiting to see what happens with Anthony Davis before I, uh, he, he'll probably, who knows, by the time you, uh, your listeners are hearing this, maybe he'll have signed a contract with the Lakers. So that will kind of give an indication of where they're going. Uh, so at some point when that happens, I'll write something on the Lakers and their future uh, for Bleacher Report. Uh, if you go to Basketball Insiders, you'll see uh, all the salary pages for each team. I'm working literally around the clock uh, other than a few hours of sleep. That's like my full-time job right now. Uh, and then I, I also stream on YouTube. Uh, you can find the link to my latest stream at the top of my Twitter feed. Uh, I might be doing it in the next uh, 24, 48 hours. Uh, so if you hear this, uh, you can either see the most recent stream or actually participate. And, and uh, it's usually an hour or two of explaining uh, what happened. So we're going to look at each team. Uh, one by one and, and try to build out what what did they do this summer from a technical point of view. Uh, so I'm going to go through all 30 teams at some point and or we might focus in on one contract or one situation or maybe the Bogdanovich thing if I could ever get some real information as to what happened. So uh, uh, I also uh, uh, do a, a podcast, although uh, this time of year I'm actually so overwhelmed I haven't recorded in the last couple weeks called Hollywood Hoops. That's a Twitter Hollywood underscore hoops. All right. Go do that. Cue up the great work. Get some sleep. 
when you can, Eric. Keep up the great work, as I said. But uh, thank you so much for making the time, and uh, we'll have to do this again soon. All right, anytime. Thanks for having me. Enjoy it. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.